welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is a 2010 Christmas Day service, and the Bible reading is taken from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for our time together. We thank you for your word that we have before us, Lord, that has been preserved for us. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that will give us understanding. Now, again, we pray, Lord, during our time that you would bless this time as we look into your word, that you might speak to each and every heart, that you might encourage, that you might uplift, that you might build up, that you might challenge, that you might convict. Lord, you know the greatest need of each one. We pray that that need would be met through you, not men, in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Year after year, we have this celebration that we call Christmas. We celebrate it by singing about and reading reading about and all of the nativity plays and it all evolves around this little child that came into this earth. But of course, as we just read from the Scriptures in Galatians chapter 4, as we can find in many other places in God's Word, he wasn't just any child. I'd just like to ask a simple question and try to answer it for you this morning. What's it all about? What is this theological term that we call the incarnation. What is that all about? The first advent of Jesus Christ into this world as we await and look for the second advent. I mean, if God is God, why did God have to come to earth as a man? Does it make any sense? I mean, if God is so powerful and so infinitely wise, wasn't there something that he could have done, some way that he could have gone about this without the incarnation? Couldn't he have given us the opportunity to be saved from our sins in some other way? Well, in the verses before us, Of course, the Apostle Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he uses an analogy here in these verses that would have been very familiar to everyone that was reading or hearing uh, 
whether they had been Jewish or Gentile at the time, would have made no difference. And that is what is known as a child's coming of age. And he relates that to every one of us as humans as our life before salvation is that of a child and a servant, and after salvation is that of someone that is an adult or mature, sons of God. Verse 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. You know, that child can have the richest parent in the world. But until he comes of age, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever because he has no say, no control over all that will one day be his. The word that's translated child in our, in our Bibles is the same word that we would translate as a minor. A minor, someone that has not yet come of age. And of course, in making his comparison to the spiritual, one that spiritually has not yet come of age. They have not yet reached that point that they are ready for all of the privileges as well as the responsibilities that go along with adulthood. You ever wish sometimes you didn't have to grow up? <laughs> you ever think back of those days as a, as a carefree child when you had not a care in the world? Some of you, when you look in the mirror, you know you haven't grown up yet. <laughs> the truth is, it, is, it should be a carefree time. It's a time when others are responsible for us. It's a time when we don't have to be responsible for ourselves and we don't have to worry about putting the roof over our heads and we don't have to go out and work a job to pay the bills. Somebody's there to take care of us. Matter of fact, he goes on in the next verse, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Every child's greatest anticipation, school, teachers, learning, the excitement. The truth is, that's part of growing up. It's not possible to mature without learning. Now, that learning can come about in all different ways. Some have great privileges in their learning and great teachers and may go to places that have great names about them. Others may be taught by much more simpler forms, even through their experiences. As we look around this world, we are such a blessed and a wealthy people, though we tend to complain and worry all the time about what we don't have. In comparison to most of this world, even the privileges of these tutors and governors, these teachers, is something that many in the world would give so very much for. But you see, he's speaking here of those tutors, those governors, those who, those who are responsible for the teaching and the training of that child. You find that he compares this as he goes on in verse 3. He says, even so we. Now, this is a natural thing that everybody knows. A child can come from a, from a background that has all the privileges before him that one could ever imagine. He could be an heir to a, to a great throne, to a great fortune, but yet, until he comes of age, while he is still a minor, he is under the responsibility of others that will teach him and train him to that point 
that he is able to take that responsibility and enjoy those privileges that have been given him. Even so we. He says, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. There was a time. There was a time in our spiritual life when we were under the control of someone other than our spiritual father, than God himself. Before that time that as an individual, we put our own personal faith into that completed work of this one that came that first Christmas. He's saying that in some ways it was very similar, the same kind of bondage under the elements of the world. And of course, the elements of the world here speaking of basic foundational things. Seemingly here to be speaking of basic elements and rituals of those things around us, our human religions, those things that so many times it only seems natural that somehow for us to gain favor, we've got to do something good. We've got to somehow earn our Creator's favor, a system that is often filled with a bunch of laws, all the do's and the don'ts that you're to do, a bunch of religious ceremonies to be performed in order to achieve acceptance somehow by God. But he's comparing all that with being a bunch of immature children. The religious ceremonies will get us nowhere. All of the good that we can do, yes, it's great to do good, but we can't do enough good. It's not what we can do. We're still under bondage. Well, some of you know, I like the first word of the next verse an awful lot. And you find it many places in the Bible. And it's a word that we use so many times and never stop to consider those simple words. He's using this comparison, but then the next word in your Bible is but, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He's saying it's like a bunch of children that haven't come to age. We're under that same kind of bondage. We're trying to do all these things to please those that are over us. And yet we can never do enough. We can never do enough to gain those privileges that will be ours. That can only come when we have come of age, when we have become mature enough to take that responsibility. That's the way we all are, he says. But God did something different. See, God could have left us in that state, us trying somehow to gain favor, to climb our way, to make our way to God, our Creator but he did something better. He took the action. He sent forth his son. I want you to notice this, and of course, I can't remember the last time that we missed so many services leading up to Christmas. And I had this all planned out for you, see. Last Sunday, we were going to be looking at this passage too. 
And we were going to be expounding on some of the other things, particularly this part right here that says, but when the fullness of time was come. And looking at just what that meant historically, when the fullness of time was come, what did that entail? Today, you're just going to get the summary. (laughs) Today was supposed to be the short sermon to kind of tie together everything from last Sunday. Were you getting the tying together without getting all the other things to go with it? But when the fullness of time was come, you see, nothing happens by accident with God. Nothing is a coincidence. I've asked you the simple question sometimes. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? It doesn't catch him off guard. It doesn't happen out of his control. Neither does God do anything before it's time. The simple truth is the time was perfect. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 says, Now once in the end of the age, he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to put away sin. Now once, in this era of time, and that's a whole other subject that we live in, he, Jesus Christ, appeared once to put away sin. When the fullness of time was come, in God's perfect timing, that moment had arrived. You see, there had to be a a psychological preparation. There had to be the prophetic preparation. There had to be the the political preparation, all of these things. That's what we were going to talk about last Sunday, all of these things. God choosing out a specific people, all the different peoples that were involved, all the many prophecies to prepare the people for the event that we're speaking about, that we're celebrating today right down to even the language, the politics of the day. Never had man been able to travel and spread news like he could under the Roman Empire. Never had a language been developed that could express so fully and so richly as the Greek language that it was recorded in. Everything in the fullness of time, in God's perfect timing. God brought forth his son. You see, the placement of the incarnation, it wasn't just because it just happened to happen a little over 2,000 years ago in that place called Bethlehem. As we read and study, we find that it was in the fullness of time. It was in God's perfect timing. But when the fullness of time was come, God, sent forth his son. You see, under the cultures of their day, it was the father that always set up the ceremony for the son's coming of age. The father would prepare all of these things, and it was at that point in time that he would be released from his tutors, his governors, those that were over him and teaching him and training him. Just as here, God the Father, he's the one that sent his son. We find that the Bible tells us in this same book, back in chapter 3 and verse 24, that the law was there to be 
our schoolmaster. It was only God in his perfect timing sending forth his son that released us from our schoolmaster, which is the law, which is there to teach us about God. I try to imagine sometimes. I try to imagine what it, what it must have been like in heaven. We celebrate because on this side of the picture, it's a joyous time when a baby is born. And you know, I know it takes a lot of work, but all that good and God and cuddling and everything, you know, they're just so sweet. Sometimes you feel like they're almost breakable. They don't seem quite as sweet when they're screaming at 3 a.m. in the morning, but they are. We see that side because we see Jesus coming into this world as a, as a baby in that manger. But what must it have been like? Have you ever had to say a goodbye in your life that was just heartbreaking? Because you knew you were going to miss that person so, so very much. I mean, it was like you could feel yourself breaking inside. I've tried to imagine what the first Christmas was like from God's perspective instead of ours. He was the one that was sending forth his son. But we'll see here in just a moment, he also knew exactly and precisely what was in store for his son when he came to this world. He knew what he was sending them into for you and I. I, I try to comprehend what that what that goodbye, what that farewell must have been about on Jesus' part for leaving the Father, but on God's part as he knew precisely because this was in the fullness of his time, in his perfect timing. He was sending forth his son. We looked Sunday before last at that great passage in John chapter 1 when in verse 1 he says, in the beginning was the word. Back in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. But at that point of creation of everything that we know, yes, he created everything that we know came into being. But in John 1-1, in the beginning, the word was. It already existed. He was already there because it was by him that we came into being. Colossians 1.17 says that he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, is before all things. John chapter 17, verse 5. It was Jesus that prayed, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. They had their relationship before anything we see and know even came into existence. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Hath in these last days, speaking of God, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. Now, that first Christmas, I mean, Jesus didn't come into being there in Bethlehem. In the fullness of time, in God's perfect timing with everything in the world, God sent forth his son from heaven. And that's where he brought him 
to a cradle, to a stall. We can look at so many things, but one of the first creeds, and I don't put a whole lot of weight in a lot of the religious creeds of time gone by, but one of the things that we find in the Nicene Creed says this, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of him before all ages, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. I can say amen to that, praise God. I can agree with it completely. You see, all I'm wanting, and I don't have time this morning, wow, we, one of the glorious things of heaven, there'll be no clocks. <laughs> You'll never be late for anything. And I can never preach too long. <laughs> I won't need to preach, amen. <laughs> just when I get there to where I could just go on as long as I wanted to because time meant absolutely nothing, I'll be useless. <laughs> won't need me anymore. But this Christmas, I want to remind you, first of all, that the placement of what we call the incarnation, it was in the perfect timing of God Almighty in the fullness of time. Also, I want to remind you of the person of the incarnation. He wasn't just another baby being born. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. That's who the incarnation is about. That's why it's so important. That's why with, you know, I love the festivities I'm really looking forward. As a matter of fact, if I paused and allowed myself, I could almost smell Christmas dinner already. I love it. Folks, that's not what Christmas is about. I think God really likes it that we can enjoy ourselves in the right way. The families can come together. I, you know, the word feasting is in the Bible a lot of times. We have to be a little bit careful because we don't have glorified bodies yet. You know, one day we'll have indestructible bodies that we can't harm, that we can't hurt. We won't be able to do anything to hurt them. Right now, if we feast too much, we can do harm to these bodies. <laughs> but there's a limit. I think God enjoys all that. But I just want to remind you this Christmas day of the importance and the purpose of the incarnation. The placement of it was in God's perfect timing. The person of it was the Son of God himself, not beginning. One that was there that had always existed. There was God, but came forth in human flesh. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, the next words, made of a woman. Jesus Christ had a physical nature. He was born of a woman just like I am, I mean, there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that every one of you here today was born of a woman. Somewhere, someplace, you came into this world by being born of a woman. Well, Jesus, the Bible says he was made of a woman. But you'll never, ever, isn't it interesting as you read through the Bible and all the places it talks about Jesus, Never one time will you find him referred to as the son of Mary. Never one time will you find him referred to as the son of Joseph. He called himself the son of man. 
He acknowledged that fleshly side. He was born in a stable. He was nursed by Mary as her child. She was the one that cradled him in her arms just like any other baby. She was the one that took care of him and fed him. We find that the ironic thing was that she was not the one that brought him into being. You know, birth is such a miraculous thing. There's not a one of you here that would be who you are. It would be impossible for you to be who you are without your father and your mother. How that new being is created that is an individual unique from all others and yet a part of that father and mother. You know, the bloodline comes through the father, all through not just the Bible, even historically. We find that such importance is placed upon it. You see, Jesus was born like no other because he was made of a woman. He came forth through Mary, but he was sent from God. Though he knew full humanity, he always remained the Son of God. How could he be the Son of God and the Son of Man? Because of the virgin birth. Because he was not conceived as any other. I know it's hard for us. I've, I've used the illustration many times. So many times spiritual things are so hard for us to attain. Why? Because we need somehow in our thinking to bring God down to our level. We've got to understand him with our minds, with our human minds, with our finite minds. Some of us with our messed up minds sometimes. We want to somehow bring him down to our level so we can understand it. When we try to grasp something, I, I, I asked you just recently, Sunday before last, as we began to look at, at, at John chapter 1, how can any human being, I even told on myself, you know, I said, I, I'd been trying to do this for over 30 years, and never one time have I been able to even begin to explain what a triune God is all about. Why? Because everything, everything we learn and everything that we know, we learn comparatively. You know one of my favorite illustrations? What does it taste like? Kind of like chicken, you know. <laughs> you want to describe to somebody what this great new food tastes like. How do you describe it to them? Kind of like something that they already know something that they can relate to. That's the only way. I mean, how can you know something if they compare it to something that you've never tasted before? Instead of kind of like chicken, maybe they'll say, well, it tastes kind of like zebra meat. How many of you ever eat zebra meat before? Don't raise your hand if you have. Don't admit it. <laughs> I started to say horse, but you know. <laughs> We always compare it to what we already know. That's, that's our level of understanding. We've got to go back and we've got to learn in stages. We've got to begin with what we know and we've got to work from there. But in our trying to understand God, we somehow try to bring him down. Look, I don't expect you to ever fully understand 
a triune God. There is absolutely nothing else in all the world, nothing you've ever seen, nothing you've ever heard, nothing that can compare to it. And I don't expect you to fully understand a virgin birth because there's absolutely nothing else in your thinking. You've never seen it. We want to bring God down to where we can understand him where we are. Well, the incarnation is God coming down to us, is coming down to our humanity. But how can we fully grasp that? How can we fully grasp that it was God that was sending forth his son made of a woman? But I want to remind you this Christmas, don't forget it. I mean, there's whole years of university training that goes into just describing these, these single things. I'm just here to remind you this morning, the incarnation, it was important. And it was there for a reason. And the placement of it was according to God's perfect timing. The person of it wasn't just some of the human being, but it was God himself sending forth his son. But we find the procedure of it was like no other that's ever been seen or tested or experienced because he came forth made of a woman, born of a virgin, made under the law, the Bible says. We find that, I want to give you this one final thought. I'm going to skip about half these notes. <laughs> the purpose. The purpose. You see, all those things build up. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. But notice the next words in your Bible, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. They said their goodbyes for a reason. All of it had to be done this way for a reason. The purpose of the incarnation, to redeem them that were under the law, to redeem each and every one of us. It's not God's will that any should perish, the Bible says. We find that this term redemption is one that's often used in Scripture, but it was also one that was often used in everyday life in this culture because this was a culture of slavery. And it was often used when buying a slave or buying some one, you know, they had debtor's prisons in those days. Buying a debtor's freedom for him, paying what he owed so that he could be set free, whether he be a slave or whether he be locked away. You see, each and every human being is guilty as a sinner. That's not because God is awful. That's because when sin entered in, death came with it. The wages of sin is death. You can't have life and death. Anybody ever tried to be alive and dead at the same time? I mean, it's ludicrous. We couldn't expect it. But yet we try to mix up the spiritual side in that way. Why? Even nature itself teaches us better. Life and death cannot reside at the same time. Light and darkness can't reside at the same time. Hot and cold can't reside at the same time. We've used many of these illustrations in the past. We find that 
The simple truth is sin and redemption can't really, if we've been redeemed from the sin, then the sin can't continue. The debt can't remain. If the debt has been paid, it's not still owed. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, all this is not about, so many people, it's just about heaven and hell. Well, you give me a choice. You want me to burn forever? You want me to walk the streets of gold? I'll take the streets of gold, praise God. That's not what it's about. Heaven and hell are eternal residing places that are the opposites of each other. Folks, it's about sin and the cost and the wages and where sin must take you. We can't comprehend eternal life because we've never known anybody that hasn't sinned, and sin brings death. But God sent forth his son in the fullness of time, in perfect timing, the very one that created us, the very one that gave us a choice whether to love him or not to love him. Oh, how many times, how many times have we talked about the love of God? You know, God could have just made you another PC or iMac or whatever. He could have just built you as a computer and programmed you, and, man, you never had a choice. You did exactly what you were programmed to do. You never made a mistake. You never had the choice to make a mistake. You did perfect because that's what he programmed you to do. <laughs> How many of you love your computers? Be honest, some of you would want to raise your hands because <laughs> we use love for an awful lot of things. Well, I'm not talking about that kind of love. <laughs> I started to say how many of you like to marry a computer, but I might get some hands to go up there. <laughs> or how many think their spouse is married to their computer? <laughs> you see, God could never have a relationship with a machine. He could appreciate you. He could build you. He could give you no choices. But when God created us, the only way he could ever have a relationship with his creation was to give you the choice. You can love somebody with all your heart. I mean, you can love them so much that you're willing to lay down your life, to die for them, to do whatever. No price is too much. But if they don't love you in return, it's only going to hurt. If they don't love you in return, you'll never have a relationship with them. It's impossible. God had to give you the choice to fail. God had to give you the choice. And he gave man that choice in the garden. We chose the wrong one. We chose sin. We chose to disobey. The wages of sin is death. With sin came death. The gift of God is eternal life. That's, that's what it's all about. God, Jesus Christ came that first Christmas that your sin could be redeemed, that it could be paid for. He came and he died on that cross and suffered the death that you owed for your sins. God did that for you because he loved you so much and he wanted that relationship, but he knew you'd make some wrong choices. He knew no matter how hard that you tried, you'd mess up, you'd make a mistake somewhere along the line. And if you're the most moral, cleanest, holiest person that ever lived, it was just the first sin, and I've told you before, not the sin of rape, not the sin of murder, not some heinous sin. It was the first sin of disobedience in the garden that brought with it death. See, we don't have any, we, we can't compare. We don't know anything that is without sin. We've never met anyone that is without sin. 
the only way that you can have eternal life is to be rid of the sin because your debt for the sin is death. But God wants you to have more. And he's done everything. And that's what the incarnation is all about. There was no other way that God could do it. Because God could not remain holy. He could not remain just. If he said, okay, this person is not good enough, but this one is. This one's able to work well enough for this. Or it doesn't matter. Just live any way you want. Do what you want. You see, to us, we have levels. If I ask you if you've ever met anybody in your life that you just wanted to take and strangle the life out of them because of something that they had done. Have you? you ever? I have. <laughs> there, have been, there have been times that in the flesh, I definitely, I wanted to grab somebody, shake them, and just, you know, somehow. Well, those are feelings that, that we all have sometimes. But the truth is, is that God wants to give you life. You see, it's not hard for you to understand. You know, if somebody came in here with a submachine gun and just mowed down all these kids in here, you think you'd have a whole lot of compassion for that person? <laughs> Invite him back to Christmas dinner with you today? <laughs> it's, it's all a level. There's a point where we can comprehend evil. Some people, it's just at different levels than others. There's a point somewhere when it'll get bad enough that even you'll admit that it's evil and that it must be punished. The problem is we don't understand how evil that one sin is with a holy God, one sin that will bring death because that's the wages of it. We can have eternal life, but it can only exist without sin. But we couldn't attain that ourselves. So our creator has given us his own son in our place to pay our debt. And I'm going to give you these verses as we close. To redeem them that were under the law. We need a savior. Notice what he says in verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. I've talked to several people. Matter of fact, I know, I know of at least a couple of three people in this congregation today that were adopted as children. And, you know, sometimes we can look at the downsides to that. But, you know, there's something positive about adoption too. <laughs> You'll never be adopted unless somebody chooses you, unless somebody chooses to adopt you. You see, the Bible said here that God has chosen you to make you his son. God wants you to be his child. Even though you've been born of sinful flesh, he wants you to be his child, his son. He says that we might receive the adoption of sons. And notice verse 6, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's hard for us, you know, that word Abba. You know why it says Abba in your Bible? Because that was the, way, that was the word in the original Greek. And, you know, every 
people in the world. Now, many of us here would have our own terms for that special person in our lives. You know, it's, it's like my kids normally call me dad or daddy. You know, daddy comes in for work, daddy, 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 daddy's home. What goodies has he brought? <laughs> well, if you'd been a little Greek child in those days, it'd have been Abba, 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 Abba's home. That was their term of endearment. You see, he's showing us here that that's the way God wants to be with us. A relationship. It's not some religious gobbledygook. He wants a relationship. In his perfect timing, he sent forth his son, made of a woman, to be born under the law that he might redeem you, that he might adopt you into his family as his son, that you might be part of his family forever. You know, there is nothing else we can compare it to. He says, wherefore thou art no more a servant than a son. And if a son then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see, an heir, one that will reap the privileges of God the creator, of God that holds the power of the universe, of God that has allowed everything to exist that you see and know. He sent forth his son, he paid a great price. That's why I said, you know, I can imagine from one standpoint how tough it would have been for Jesus just to say goodbye to his father that he'd never been separated from before, to say goodbye to him, to come into this world that first Christmas. But I try to comprehend from the other side, what do you think it would have been like to have been the father? They knew you were sending forth your son because of the people that you love so much. You wanted to give away. They didn't have to suffer the consequences of their sin. You wanted to give them an opportunity to have life everlasting with no end. You wanted them to enjoy life as you desired it for them, but that you had to give them a choice to reject. And you see, Again, he had to give you the choice. If he gave you the choice to choose, you can accept or you can reject. You can't have it any other way. Otherwise, it would just become mechanical, and it would mean absolutely nothing. But when God the Father waved goodbye to his son, he loved you so much that he knew that he sent forth that son. He knew all that Jesus Christ would go through. You know, people have tried for years. You know, I guess the last attempt with the, the passion of the Christ, people have tried to picture the agony, the pain, and all that Jesus Christ went through, but they've never succeeded because we're still looking at it through men's eyes. But boy, there's enough there. You probably don't want more than a glimpse anyway. What he suffered for you to pay to redeem you that's what Christmas is about. That's God sending forth his son to redeem you. That's why it had to be done that way, because somebody had to pay 
for that sin because death is the natural earnings of it. He came to pay your debt so that you could have the free gift of life everlasting. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I know that I've rushed over and rushed through and walked around, but Lord, it's just a reminder this Christmas of the importance of that which we celebrate today, the incarnation of the Christ child. It came into this earth as you sent him forth in your perfect timing, Lord, to be born of a virgin, Lord, to come to redeem us from our sins by paying the price in our place. We love you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.